Welcome everyone to the Towards Wholeness podcast, where our desire is to give you tools so that you can take steps toward wholeness in spirit, soul, and body. My name is Richard Dahlstrom, and I'll be introducing our guest in a moment, but today's podcast is uh, the first in a series that we'll run periodically, uh, where we interview participants who have uh, been part of the Ancient Paths experience that is a centerpiece of the work we do here at spiritsoulbody.org. Uh, we live in a culture, as most of us are quick to acknowledge, where many people seem to be stuck at various points along the developmental uh, stages of life. One author speaks of kind of this period of perpetual adolescence that seems to characterize particularly adult males, because somehow they've never grown beyond the insecurities of adolescence to find a sense of identity that will allow them to mature into the people that they're created to be. And we believe that every person has a calling and uh, is put on this planet to not only enjoy life, but to share gifts and to serve humanity and serve the greater created world order as well. And our desire is to give people tools so that people don't end up stuck along the way. People do end up stuck at the adolescent level. Sometimes people end up stuck because a crisis occurs in their life. It could be domestic violence. It could be a vocational crisis, a financial crisis, crisis with one's children. We've heard of midlife crisis as well, where people have kind of a crisis of meaning in the middle of life, it's as if they climbed the mountain and then wondered if they're on the right mountain or not. And then uh, some people face crises as well toward the end of their career period as they ponder retirement and wonder what that final third or final quarter of life holds for them. And our desire is to provide this ancient paths experience so that people can gain the tools through a kind of a focused experience that will enable them to overcome this sense of being stuck. The ancient paths experience culminates in a 36 to 48 hour outdoor time that includes uh, sleeping uh, without the shelter of a tent, but under a a tarp. So you're really out uh, in the elements. There's fasting and there's solitude. It's generally done also in a community of participants. So though there's solitude, there's time at the beginning and end of the outdoor time that uh, provides connection with others. And prior to that 36 to 48 hour experience, there are two face-to-face or in the COVID era Zoom meetings that deal with uh, and provide tools for growth in your spirit in your soul and your bodies. And we'll talk about those things. Rather than just trying to describe an ancient past experience, we thought it would be great if periodically you could hear from people who have actually participated. So I'd like to introduce our guest today, Thane Erickson, who is a friend and a professor of uh, psychology at Seattle Pacific University. And Thane was actually one of the very first participants in the Ancient Paths experience. And so it's a joy to have you with us today, Thane. Thanks for uh, making the time to talk about your time on the Ancient Paths. Yeah, pleasure to be with you today, Richard. So uh, I'm kind of interested, first of all, in 
taking us back to what it was that prompted you to decide to sign up for such an experience. It is a little unusual. It's not just a backpacking trip and you're not peak bagging or something like that, but it is in the outdoors and it does include time of solitude. So what would, what would prompt someone to want to jump into that kind of experience? You know, for a long time, I've believed in the importance of, I think what, you know, what you've talked about is kind of the in-breathing and the out-breathing disciplines, you know, that we need, we need sort of spaces and moments and things to kind of empty and then be filled and then take that and kind of spend it and send it out into the world. Right. Yes. And I believe that I talk that. Um, and yet I find that I'm one of those people who's becoming preoccupied with chasing kind of in an Ecclesiastes sense, chasing after the wind, you know, which for me looks like sometimes striving for significance or striving to be needed. And my job and my daily life gives me lots of wonderful opportunities to do those things. Um, and that often ends up in me not taking enough time for space and silence and solitude. So when I heard there was this opportunity to provide some structure and accountability outside of me to do that, um, I thought, hey, you know, it also was a really low bar. It was like a one night. I think if you would have said, hey, we're going to do 10 days in the wilderness, I would have been really excited, but thinking, ah, can I pull that off right now? I have so many other things going on. So I think you kind of got your foot in the door and, and sucked me in. And, and so I was excited about that. That's awesome. You talked about what's inviting. Was there anything perhaps intimidating in that original invite? Um, I think because it was lowballed at, at one night, I wasn't too intimidated, but I, I will, you know, confess that I haven't done a lot of fasting. I've been fascinated with it, but uh, without giving you all the details of my <laughs> IBS or whatever it is, you know, I had this thought of like, oh, is it, can I pull that off? Not eating for a day? Will I have, you know, physical discomfort? But I appreciated the way it was framed as an opportunity to even feel discomfort as part of the experience, like reframing that as actually a good thing. Yeah, that's really good. I'll just... I'll just jump in and note for our listeners that uh, fasting is a part of this thing. And uh, it's a part of this thing because it's part of the spiritual disciplines that have historically been, you know, foundational to our ongoing transformation. And at the same time, we do a medical intake inventory in the front end. So if you have diabetes or uh, an eating disorder or something like that, we wouldn't want you to not participate because of that element. We we want to make it available for everyone. And we realize there are some medical extenuating circumstances that make fasting difficult uh, and know that there's always food in the, in the tent of the guide. And uh, for there's nobody has to be afraid that they're going to, you know, wither in the outdoors and those with medical circumstances uh, don't have to be subject to to that in the same way. But yeah, I think that's a common hesitancy that people have, which shows me how little we fast actually in our culture, right? Like we really do have a rhythm of uh, consumption. And then I ponder how that rhythm of food consumption informs the other ways in which I'm a consumer. Does that make sense? Like, uh, oh, I got to have a meal. And then uh, just yesterday in my social media feed, a sweatshirt came up that I don't need. And I was so overwhelmingly tempted to, to buy it because it was pretty and I could see myself in it. And then I, I had to stop and go, okay, I'm a consumer and I want to fight against that as much as possible so that I'm making conscious choices, not just with food, but with, um, with all of my consumptive choices. And fasting actually helps me do that. How was fasting for you on the on the uh, ancient past outdoor experience? Yeah, and, and I also would, I mean I would just add to that 
you know, you were saying expanding fasting from food, um, but then talking about fasting from purchasing, I would just add, I appreciate your focus with this on fasting from a, a range of things, right? So fasting from electricity, there, were, there was talk in the preparation phase of, of you know, taking a night to, to take a break from electricity and using a candle. And I, I, I hadn't really heard that from, from the pulpit, you know, right. in churches I've been to before, sort of that, so that level of discipline. Um, or if I think about in my family, you know, we've come to anticipate and expect and feel like we deserve a certain dose of entertainment every day and fasting from that. And so I just broadly speaking, I, I guess I'm, I'm a big fan of this idea. At least again, in my head, I'm a big fan of doing this because we get so controlled by these external inputs that, that sort of say, you need me now. And so I, I totally buy this idea that we need to take break. And, and, just, and also just in terms of the geeky research side, I mean, we have research showing that even your brain's capacity to, to sort of get reward and pleasure from things like ice cream is enhanced by periods of absence, right? People that have Haagen-Dazs every day actually get less pleasure from it. God has some, he, he knows how we're wired and thinks maybe there's some benefits to that rhythm of absence and fullness, right? So, but, but on the physical uh, aspect, uh, I was a little bit intimidated just wondering what my body would do because I've had one or two kind of negative experiences with fasting years ago where I think I probably tried to overdo it to prove something and my body rebelled against me uh, and shut me down. It actually went relatively well. I mean, I drank a lot of water um, during the day, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I had my own kind of rhythm of prayer and meditation and silence, and I tried to really just use other sensory input to kind of fill myself. It's kind of like that old song, you fill up my senses like a night in the forest. Like I tried to literally absorb, you know, God's presence and the beauty and the air and the cold water of jumping into the Alpine Lake and, and drink water. And it actually, I felt like that, between those things, I was full enough that um, I didn't have a huge need. Uh, and then it was lovely on the tail end to get to have a meal, um, you know, with the people I, w- I was with afterwards right. as well. That's very cool. You know, you talked, uh, you uh, alluded briefly to the uh, how you used your time. And uh, those who participate in Ancient Paths Experience, as you know, you set up a shelter. And then uh, you're kind of on your own. Your guides check in on you to make sure that you're safe and sane and doing okay. But other than those periodic check-ins, you're given tools to use the time, but you're not given a schedule. Uh, and so a couple of questions. A, how was that having just this huge block of time with no one to talk to? And B, what did you do with the time? Well, some aspects of that were kind of delicious, I'd say, because I haven't been bored in 30 years. Because between having three adolescent, you know, adolescent kiddos and you know, working full time in academics and teaching and doing private practice as a clinician and just and also just enjoying life there. I, I find I, I pathologically tell myself I don't have enough time. And so having kind of a structured experience where I couldn't fill it with those strivings um, was was lovely in many ways. But I, you know, I, I'd also say that uh, it then sort of raised the questions of huh, what, what do I do with myself right now? Um, right. You know, uh, and, and how I spent it was trying to create, I mean, I, I just experimented a little bit and I had some of those activities you mentioned, right? So there's these activities around the, the field guide, which has some little readings and I'd kind of get into a rhythm of reading something, meditating on it, doing some prayer, kind of conversational prayer with God, as well as kind of centering or, or contemplative prayer with more mm-hmm. just kind of being practicing the presence of God and trying and failing and trying and failing at that. But I also, you know, I, we were instructed to not get out, like not really travel very far, probably for safety reasons. They don't right. want people going rogue and getting lost. 
but I found it useful to, to within a pretty a limited geographical range to just get up and move and, and be in different physical spaces for different periods. So there were some times where it was lovely to be, you know, sitting on a rock overlooking this Alpine Lake. And that was my space or being in, in laying on the ground in the sun in a different right. space. Right. You know, so for me, it, it helped to have a rhythm over time of doing those things. And so you kind of built your own rhythm and mm -hmm. use the guidebook to inform what you chose to, to do. And I think that that's not only wise, but typical. Did the time go slow or fast, or can you even know? <laughs> how, how did that feel for you? Uh, I would just say yes. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it went um, quickly. I mean, a day, 24 hours is not long, but again, that, that time passes differently depending on what you're doing, right? So, so not having my, my day scheduled for me, not having a lot of external demands on me, it does make you aware of the passing of time in a, in a different way. Um, and I can imagine, right, I'm thinking about the desert fathers, desert mothers back in the day or other ascetics. I can, I mean, for me, it was so novel. It's like, oh, this is almost exciting. It's this new thing I'm doing. But I can imagine if you get to, <laughs> if you expand this out, yeah. you will hit periods of a lot of, you know, I think about the monks experiencing boredom or acedia or sloth or some of those right. old ideas. Right, you know, right. Um, and wanting to, to flee back to the city to get yeah. stimulation. Yeah. You know. So maybe the, the 24 hour thing is a good uh, kind of introduction to some, like it's a taste of solitude, a taste of silence, a taste of nothing to do. So returning to the subject of fasting, I kind of want to notice that uh, not only is food addressed and electricity, but uh, guests and participants turn in their phones so that you're out there in the wilderness, not only without access to cell coverage and text messages, and but even the stuff that would be embedded in your phone if you have a Kindle reader or something like that. And I think that this has been, for many guests, both the bigger challenge than food and the bigger uh, impact. Uh, how was that for you, fasting from your phone? I mean, there, there was moments where I noticed kind of pings, right? And not pings on my phone, but internal pings, right? Pings where wondering, what am I missing? <laughs> what should I be, what else should I be getting done? Or even just the ping, the desire to share experiences like, oh, I want to, I want to share something that just happened with people, right? And so I think even just reflecting and noticing how those external pings become internal pings and uh, which in some ways, I'm probably the wrong person to ask this question though, because I'm already a little bit of a Luddite. I already have a love, mostly hate relationship with computers and devices. I use them so much and I feel like I notice them pulling me away from creation and people. And, and that's just my, it's not yeah. my addiction. I right. of other things. Right. But, uh, but I will say it's a great example of how, and again, I love our techie friends and, and neighbors, right? But how a lot of these devices have been engineered with psychology in mind to sort of have cue action reward happening right and so you hear that ping and it gets linked can you know it's like it's conditioning right it gets linked to the reward of feeling important or sharing with somebody or keeping up to date and that actually you know what works gets repeated and so i, I you know it's like the conversation i have ongoing with myself my spouse my kids about to what extent are these devices actually smarter than us and that they they hack us a little bit. So I think in some ways, this is a, a neat old school hack of the hack, right? Fasting right. from it gives you a chance to do that. And again, for me, it's like a little reset button, right? Like mm -hmm. I go out and do one of these um, ancient paths experiences on my own every every year, kind of a, annually. I get out 
alone and do a little backpacking and fasting and solitude by lake. And, and I turn, I just turn my phone off, you know, I know it's there in case there's an emergency and I need to you know, call for help. And the ancient paths experience is structured in the same way. You would, you would have been reachable had your, had one of your kids got in an accident or something like that, but you don't have that direct access. And, and uh, there's something really beautiful about breaking that cue action reward pattern that is so embedded in our daily living now that we it's almost we don't even notice it and so we uh, that's one of the things that's in the design of the of the experience uh another question that i had for you the the experience is designed uh, around first thessalonians five twenty three, where paul prays that the people to whom he's writing would enjoy fullness in spirit and soul and body and we built that out with the spirit having to do with your deepest identity and particularly your identity in Christ, which is a big, big subject, but we encourage people into the discipline of meditation there. And then uh, with regard to soul, we want to help people unpack their story and kind of look back on their life retrospectively, asking the question, you know, what experiences have shaped me most profoundly? And then the body, we've talked a bit about the fasting. We haven't talked much yet about the actual hiking and uh, time in creation. But of those three categories, spirit, soul, and body, those tools, what, what stood out for you personally as most meaningful? I tend to be a both-and kind of person. So in this case, I think it'd be a all, an all-three kind of thing. So maybe just to, to mention a few something from each of them. Um, you know, in, in the kind of, and I, and I like how you divided these up, right? Um, and I think it's arguable that, that they all have multiple meanings, right? But I like how you kind of gave people this framework um, to do some work in. And in the spirit one, right? If we're kind of equating that with identity, in the field book, I appreciated how there was a, a kind of a long list of verses that are healthier narratives about who we are. And not all of them resonated with me at the particular moment I was in there, but I remember the one there was a couple that really fit with where I was at. And one was the John one, like, I'm your, I'm your child. I'm God's child. Mm -hmm. um, which is just, it's so, there's just a simplicity to it. And with all the complexity that gets going on in my head and life, um, I found it helpful to kind of repeatedly pray, pray that. And, and again, and I, I grew up thinking that prayer is all just straight conversation. And I think that's, it's beautiful and lovely. But for me, it was, you know, as an adult learning later about some of these other form of prayer, where it's simply just keeping the, keeping your, your attention on one thing, right? Whether that's your, your breath, right? Or I'm your child. And it's impossible for the mind not to wander, right? That's just what minds do. And so just this deceptively simple practice of just, I'm your child, and sitting with that. Um, and then my mind goes to worries or plans and just noticing that coming back to I'm your child, yep, right? Yep. So, so I mean, and, and I, and I've formally trained in, my, in meditation and mindfulness, and I also help, I use it clinically with folks. So I, I buy, I believe these, these kind of prayers. Um, and yet again, I don't make enough time for myself to do it. So I, I found that was, I, there was kind of sanctioned permission and actually encouragement, like do some of this now. So that was really useful in the spirit domain. And just remembering, like for me, my false self is, you know, involves, like I mentioned earlier, just there's some kind of striving there for significance and being needed. And I also just believe, I mean, in some ways that's a segue to the soul piece, right? Because you're talking about soul as your story as well as personality. And this was actually really interesting for me because as a person who like I'm, I'm connected to personality science and I do, my lab does research here on personality and character strengths and things like that. And so, and, and there's pros and cons the, as an academic psychologist, there's pros and cons to the Enneagram um, and any personality measure, right? they tend to get at the same kind of 
information of like you tend to be more extrovert introverted you right. tend to be more out you know i mean there's all there's a lot of common dimensions and you slice them up differently but they all boil down to probably a few dimensions yes um and spending time thinking about you know i like i brought up the enneagram results i brought up some a big five test as well and just had those in front of me and spent some time looking through those and really looking at again at this phase of life what are the things that, that stand out to me because personality i really think about it as what comes easy and what comes difficult for you hmm. and we know it's about 50% genetic and that's an interesting theological question too right which is why is that god must think that diversity is a good thing in a lot of dimensions including in personality because not everybody is equally extroverted or equally prone to negative emotions or whatever um, so thinking about those pieces but then also the, the the light side and the shadow side are both part of those so right. for me you know the identity piece is important but then my false self actually connects back to my personality which is the part of me that wants to be a helper and a peacemaker and a achiever and a you know all those kind of things those are gifts god's given me but they are also things that at my worst make me only those things right and yes. uh and chasing them so uh, I, I, I didn't mention body but we'll, we'll, i'll get there whenever you want me to yeah no well uh first of all regarding soul i really appreciate that and and uh i think for me the other tool that's embedded in there is kind of this retrospective look at your story through life map or how, however it's framed. But uh, when I would be out in the woods and have nobody there and think about experiences that have made me afraid of conflict or made me addicted to approval or made me the kind of person that cares excessively regarding what other people think, you know, there's a power in this, in the spaciousness of being able to, you know, look at that, at that stuff in my in my story and when it's coupled with this notion that christ is present through this the identity things that we're dealing with there can be a redeeming thing that happens to some of those uh, darker pieces of our story and a gratitude thing that happens to some of the brighter pieces of our story you know uh, so so thanks for that that's really really valuable what do you learn from being in creation like in a real direct way under a tarp so that you're not afraid of rain, but not in a not even in a tent, as is typically the case with backpacking. I, I, I love that aspect of it because, uh, again, I it's easy for me to live in my head, you know, as a person who sort of thinks professionally and and lives with people in their heads as well. But even there, right, we, we want to get into into people. I mean, heads and bodies and hands and hearts, and it, it's all connected, right? And um, for me, I mean, as I mentioned, feeling the hunger was it was useful and and. Um, just kind of touching it, you know, I, I, sometimes clinically we talk about have, having people kind of notice their experience, sensory or emotional or, or thoughts, and touching it like a rich tapestry, like feeling it, like noticing the, like, what's the quality? It's almost like, or for people that, you know, you know, as you're a coffee fan, right? There's not just coffee, there's dimensions you can notice, That's right? right. Yep. And so even for, for unpleasant experiences, how can we get close to those and notice? Is it, what is that in my stomach? Is it, is it sharp pain? Is it just yeah. is it gnawing? Is it dull? Is it just, a, is it just noticing, you know? And uh, for me, like, again, I didn't, I found it like mildly uncomfortable feeling a little bit of hunger, but then just seeing that as something to be curious about was, was useful. And then, like I said, using, experimenting with using other sensory with breathing in that mountain air, right. Feeling the hard ground, you know, I think this bad, bad pun, but you know, it's grounding as well. Just remembering, um, I normally sleep, not on the ground right right um i there was a lot of sort of beauties of the joy of the physical stuff too though i mean i 
there was a um, some sort of raptor or bird of prey that was hanging out in the tree right above me and watching that swoop down. Actually, I was sitting there feeling hungry at dinner time, and I, and I hear this wham. And there's this, this bird that just hits the top of the water, grabs a fish. I, I'm sorry, it missed it and flew off. And then I'm watching it and it comes down for a second strike, gets its dinner and getting to kind of watch this bird have its dinner. Wow. And then the next morning I got to watch it have its breakfast too. So <laughs> there was both the discomfort of not eating, but also the joy of seeing some other, one of God's creatures eating. And did lastly to answer your question about not just having a tarp, um, I have slept out under the stars before, but I have to admit, you know, just being so used to being in a bed with walls or even in, in a tent right. uh, in, in the wild, that sleeping by myself it also added a part of it, right? Because normally you have other, many of us have other bodies next to us when we're in a tent. So, that, you know, I, I woke up in the middle of the night a couple of times, feeling the ground and wondering, was that sound a bear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's irrational, you know, but then there's still that like, but then even just trying to embrace that is like, yep, this is part of all the de deprivation of the comforts I normally have and can I lean into it, into it? Well, and what's interesting to me is it it is deprivation, as you just said, in contrast to the comforts with which we're familiar. But in the scope of human history, this moment where, in which we find ourselves is the anomaly. Like people slept on the ground, people slept under the stars. And learning that that's okay, I find helps me to go, oh, it's, then it's also okay to go into an uncomfortable setting in my own city of Seattle, crossing social divides that make me uncomfortable crossing economic divides that make me uncomfortable. God is in that uncomfort, and I'm reminded of that every time I'm outside uh, in kind of alone in the wild. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Um, hey, because you're a psychologist, I'm really interested, too, in your thoughts about the role rites of passages can have in people's lives. And, you know, we live in a culture where, you know, one guy said to me, the only rite of passage I've ever experienced is uh, high school graduation, get my driver's license. That's it. You know, back in the day, the church had things sometimes, uh, confirmation classes, or uh, if you're if you're Jewish, a bar mitzvah. But there were markers like you're definitely moving from adolescence to adulthood, or you're definitely moving uh, into uh, this career spot, or you're definitely becoming an elder uh, as you as you shed some of your productive responsibilities and now you're you're this voice of wisdom that other generations draw from those seem conspicuously absent in our culture what are your thoughts on why they're absent and how we can recover some of those hmm. yeah it's, it's a great question and i i think i, I might have to just chew on it for a while yeah. you know, even after our conversation like especially the part of the why why are they absent i i don't know my suspicion is it's kind of like this idea that you know even non-liturgical churches have a liturgy we just yes. <laughs> it's an implicit one right or like there's no such thing as culture-free right. spaces or like the idea that white people don't have culture you know i mean like there's all these right. like i think i suspect that actually we do have rights of, of yes. passage but they are maybe thin and flimsy yep um my first thought is just going back to again, you know, we our time is so filled with consuming to-do lists, entertainment, staying connected in certain in ways that have only happened in the last decade or two, yes. that, that have been different than the rest of human history. Having access to the amount of information, images, and entertainment that's like that's never happened before in human history, 
And you can't help but wonder how that changes us. And, and I think going back to that kind of cue action reward kind of thing, like the way that our brains are wired to emotionally tag. I mean, you can almost think about there's there's a go system in the brain and a stop system in the brain, among others, and that both of them tag things as pleasant and unpleasant yeah. and make us more likely to continue those things. And so if we have lives and lifestyles and devices that kind of routinize us into certain ways of being, right, then then there's no obvious reason we'd get out of those, right? Mm. And so perhaps maybe that maybe that's just again blaming the phones for everything, which I don't think we should do. There, there's lots of wonderful aspects of them. But but I do think that's probably part of it. But to flip it on its head, that might be one reason why these kind of experiences can be important. Is there, I mean, as a person who does interventions, there's lots of ways to change people, right? Like by changing how you think, you know, being yeah. renewed by the, right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Mm -hmm. You can intervene at the level of emotions or body. You can turn on an inspirational emotional experience and kind of inspire and rewire, or you can yeah. help people meditate or pray or do, yeah. you know, physically, you know, exercise. Yeah. You can change behavior. And when you change behavior, Contrary to maybe often American evangelicalism, you can actually change hearts and heads by change, just simply by behaving different. Um, it doesn't all have to happen from inside. Um, but the other piece we forget is changing environments or situations. And that's yeah. that kind of cue part of it. And so yeah. when we put, when we force ourselves to get out of our normal environments, the cues change, your brain doesn't know what's going on here. And that does create a new opportunity to for, for new things to happen. Well, and you know, every, every indigenous culture had these kind of experiences embedded because the movement to adulthood was intended to be not fully scripted, but designed, uh, not, not accidental. Maybe that's, as you say, true in our culture too, but unfortunately the prevailing cultural narrative is designing us to be consumers rather than creative, to be anxious that we don't have enough and fearful that we're going to be beaten up somehow by, by uh, people of a different nation or race or something like that. And so there's, there are cues in our culture, but they're shaping us in the wrong way. And so the desire in the ancient paths ministry is to change, change the cues and change the environment, as you say and the body and the mind, all with a goal toward helping people move into a state of greater wholeness. So I really am grateful for this conversation. I think you've given me a lot to think about in terms of how the experience should be structured for maximum benefit. And uh, I've really appreciated hearing the things that were meaningful to you. Well, thanks for creating this opportunity. And um, you know, I'm excited to get more opportunities to experiment with it. Super. Th thanks again, Thane. I'm grateful. And for those of you who are listening, the way that you can sign up for an Ancient Paths experience or tell others about it is through the Ancient Paths uh, website, which is embedded in spiritsoulbody.org. You'll see a tab at the top. Or through um, Bethany Community Church website, churchbcc.org. Uh, right now in the spring of 2021, uh, there are signups available and uh, trips happening this summer uh, with uh, uh, the possibility for transformation. So look forward to those. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Toward Wholeness podcast.